Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Weber, and I'm joined by one of my co-hosts. Andy Germuga. As well as by our guest, uh, critic and programmer in Los Angeles, Jordan Kronk. <laughs> thanks for having me, guys. Thank hey, you for thanks for coming us. on. Yeah, so today uh, we're going to kind of uh, continue on our discussion, or finish, I guess, our discussion of the uh, the current section at this year's New York Film Festival. Uh, we're going to talk mostly about the features. There's also some shorts that played uh, before those features that we didn't get to last time that we might talk about a few of uh but yeah, I think we're going to start off uh, talking again kind of about kind of uh, what the goal of this new section is. And maybe you can uh, start uh, talking about that, Jordan. I know you, I've seen the interview, but I know you interviewed Dennis Lim a month or so ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, Currents, according to according to Dennis uh, is kind of just an expansion of uh, projections, which is mm -hmm. their program for experimental and artist cinema that they've been doing for the five or six years uh, mm -hmm. previously was called the views from the avant-garde. Um, but we're talking today, obviously about the features, which mm -hmm. is like a different component that was added to projections um, to kind of, I don't know, spotlight uh, feature length work that is also uh, experimentally inclined or adventurous, I guess. Um, but like, like Michael Sosinski was saying on your last podcast about the shorts, it's kind of a weird year because uh, one occurrence is new and it's a broadened section. And also because there was a whole six months or more with no festivals. So there's mm -hmm. kind of a, some of these features, I'm not quite sure if they would have, been in currents in a normal year because they did, there was no art of the real for example there was no right. new directors new films uh which some of these films could have easily played in either of those mm, uh okay. programs so i'm it'll be interesting to see going forward uh what kind of films are going to show because some of these are definitely artist films made by kind of experimental filmmakers or actual like moving image artists and then some of them are just kind of independent features american feet like a, there's a movie called slow machine for example that is mm -hmm. kind of like a movie that can play in new directors new films very easily uh, -huh. uh so yeah it, it's unclear quite right now what how the how currents is going to look i think going forward this year it seems like it was kind of a mix um mm -hmm. but but that being said i think the features were uniformly pretty pretty strong and worthwhile regardless yeah, of their kind of sensibility yeah all right uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything more to say on that. This is the first year that I've done the New York Film Festival, so I'm not particularly familiar with projections beyond just uh, having seen some of the lineups before. I remember uh, they used to uh, they used to have the challenge where they would put up the trailer, and if you could uh, name all the movies in order, they would. Uh, uh, you'd be entered to win tickets to the centerpiece, maybe. And I remember the projections movies always being a particular challenge. <laughs> I didn't realize they did that. But yeah, it might be hard to pick out some short films in the middle of yep, yeah. a montage. Yeah, fortunately, they would often uh, line up with what the still was uh, oh, okay. on the, the lineup page. But yeah. Uh, so yeah. I'm going to, I think in terms of our uh, discussion of the films, I want to start by asking uh, what everyone most hopes has a life beyond this festival. Um, well, for me, um, well, there are a couple of films that will have lives beyond the festival. Right. They yeah, have I know. Slow Machine. Nice. And... Slow Machine has distribution and, mm -hmm. uh, one movie we can maybe talk about or not, we don't have to get into it, but we can mention it because it's an interesting kind of uh, 
situation. There's a movie called mm-hmm. The Works and Days, right. which is an eight hour, an eight hour film that premiered in Berlin. It does have distribution, also okay, Grasshopper, right. uh-huh. um, but did not show in the festival because, uh, I, from what I understand, the filmmakers didn't want to show it uh, virtually or streaming, which makes, makes sense, sense considering the the kind mm-hmm. of film it is. One, it's very long. Two, it's very like sensory like uh focused mm-hmm. and there, there's uh-huh. multiple passages with no image and it's just audio field recordings and stuff like that uh-huh. um but it's one of those things where they ch- i don't know how it came about i'm assuming they invited the film thinking that there might still be an in-person component and then had to right had to kind of walk that back um but that i guess movie, you can't show a eight hour movie at a drive-in <laughs> well that was what i was thinking i'm like you could but i don't know if that's right. ideal either a, right. a dusk till dawn screening yes <laughs> so they're they're saying they're holding that off and gonna gonna show it as a kind of belated new york best film festival uh screening like whenever that can happen next year i guess but um that's definitely a movie i think i would be I'm excited to see the life it takes once it is able to show because yes, it's still only screened in Berlin as far as I know. So. Right, and that that one uh, Encounters, which is also a new section, right? It did, yeah, which is kind of yeah. like has a similar sensibility to Currents in the Features section. Right, Though it, that, that was interesting because there were, is it just Malmkrog and Isabella that carried over from uh, Currents to the main slate or Encounters to the main slate? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and then there, the Heinz Demogold's film, The Last City, was right. in the counters too, yeah. I think. Um, and then I want to say one or two of them might have been announced for new directors, new films as well. Right. I think you're right. I have to look at the schedule again. But I think, uh, yeah, some of them would have been there. But yeah, they have a similar kind of overlapping sensibility. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the one I would hope that has a, can have a life someday. Um, right. Yeah. But yeah, otherwise, uh, I don't know what else has distribution off the top of my head but those are the only two that i know of as i was looking through the list um i can maybe start uh uh by saying that uh just last night i finally caught up with uh there are not 36 ways of uh showing a man getting on a horse which i uh really adored uh this is uh a film by uh nicholas zuckerfeld uh an argentinian filmmaker argentine uh and it's in technically three parts but really two or three chapters uh and the first one is kind of uh a montage of scenes first of uh men getting on horses then getting off horses then uh there's a lot of stuff with uh kind of various tangents of other sort of connected uh different scenes some uh many involving doors which makes sense uh when you get to the next section and then the other thing that i did not realize watching this montage but also eventually becomes evident and I imagine would become evident earlier if you were uh, more familiar with Raoul Walsh is that these are all from his films. He made many, many films in the first half of the century. Uh, And so then this second section is mostly uh, just spoken word with a few kind of visual aids uh, of this story that I would imagine might be mostly true uh, about this uh, quote that a film professor tells to his class that uh, Raoul Walsh said, there are not 36 ways of showing a man getting on a horse. And then uh, in trying to find the origin of this quote, he realizes it was possibly misquoted. There are multiple elements of this quote that he can find in other places and then some that he can't. Uh, 
he he eventually does figure out where the kind of 36 comes from it's kind of a a little translation thing with french the uh but then the horse uh most ways that places that it's quoted is that it uh uh, there, there's only one way of showing a man going through a door is what the more traditional version of this quote seems to be. And it's never entirely clear where other than this one source that he has uh, this horse came from. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed both sections of this film. It's, you know, in terms of... Uh, comparing it I think the the first section especially as it goes on kind of starts to recall the uh the green fog the guy Madden and Evan and Galen Johnson film from a few years ago which that's kind of riffing on vertigo I think I maybe even talked about it when he put it up they put it up on Vimeo earlier in the year uh, and then the second section is funny in that despite, uh, I would imagine that this is just something that happened to Zuckerfeld. I know he teaches in, teaches film in uh, Argentina. Uh, and But yet despite being a true story, it seems, it also feels like a, a Roberto Bolaño short story uh, with maybe film kind of put in for uh uh literature of just this searching for the origin of this quote and never quite being able to find it yeah i i like this film actually quite a quite a bit as well um mm -hmm. <clears throat> i must admit the first like the first half which does mm -hmm. resemble like a guy madden film or uh tom anderson or uh christian marclay's the clock these kind of like filmmakers mm, right. who, who've appropriated other filmmakers footage there's a movie called uh parentheses by morgan fisher that does something similar uh anyway the first half is kind of like i felt sort of familiar and right it wasn't really feeling it. i thought that was going to be the whole the whole film and then it switches gears in the second half and then yeah, yeah it goes down mm -hmm. this rabbit hole of where this quote was attributed to uh, and actually unbeknownst to me like starts to interweave with some people I know and, and <laughs> messages they sent, they sent the director and then he keeps going right. and he, he traces it through like Kahe du Cinema and all these other magazines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it starts to become like a movie about film criticism, which I really loved. Mm -hmm. And it, it really switches your perspective about what you're watching at the beginning, which is mm -hmm. for a while, it's all people getting on a horse and it's kind of funny because you know the title and it's kind of, that's what you think mm -hmm. it's going to be. And then it switches to showing the doors, which eventually you kind of figure out why, why that is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, I, I love Rara Walsh, so watching his mm. his footage is never a bad thing. But without the the second half switch, uh, right? It it mm. seemed kind of like just pro forma or kind of going through a similar thing that I've seen a lot of times. But it eventually like blossoms into something really fascinating. I think. Yeah, I yeah, I definitely agree. Like, yeah, the the taken as a whole, especially, it's like it's like really interesting the way that the way that it it, it shifts modes and the way that those modes interact with each other and inform each other. Um, the yeah, I was especially like going in. I was most intrigued during the like the editing sequence of the sequence of like people being like locked up was like the most intriguing sequence right. to me. I was like, oh, this is like there's some interesting. But um, but but then like yeah, when it becomes revealed, like oh, we're examining these things because of like these quotes and all that, that was really cool. And then yeah, just like the tribute to like the power of like research and like documentation and stuff is mm -hmm. like it's like you know it's like a little ode to like having like a bunch of nerdy friends who can like help you out <laughs> and like and and find a find a, a magazine for you at a moment's notice, which I really appreciated. Mm -hmm. And it's maybe worth noting uh, in comparing it to uh, some of Guy Madden's films that it was paired with uh, him and the Johnson Brothers' new short film, uh, Stump the Guesser, which I also quite liked, kind of, uh, you know, a very kind of Madden thing of uh, following this uh, guesser who runs out of guessing milk and... Uh, has to uh, uh, sort of move on from his job. Very just, you know, I found it to be very funny. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, very, very fun movie. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, I'll shout something out. Uh, I watched um, today, I watched um, uh, My Mexican Bretzel, um, which is another, it's, you know, it, it, I feel like it ha- kind of has a lot in common with um, the horse with, with uh, uh, there's not 36 ways uh, in just in like, it is um, it has like an archival feel to it. Right. Like the, the, the footage is, mm-hmm. is, is meant to feel like it is um, it is that it, that, it, that, you, that you're watching pre-existing footage that's being manipulated. is like the, the, the effect that they're going for. Um, and it's sort of, it's, you know, it's, it's, dialogueless uh it's it's uh it, it is sort of this footage and and, it, and they, they they tell you it's excerpts from a diary um that that are on that are like the subtitles throughout that are like paired together to sort of tell this story um and yeah i was i was really taken with it i thought it was like a really cool fun way to tell a story um a, a intriguing approach to like yeah to 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 putting a narrative in a movie uh without like one of the one of the key elements that often tells a narrative with dialogue um uh and and yeah i i was i was very impressed by it um i thought the style was really good a lot of the a lot of the images are really cool to watch uh and it is like and it's very like straight like they play it very straight i think which like i really appreciated that it's like yeah you see all this this really cool footage and it, and it feels extremely real and i believe right it is all like they like it's there's there's is there like a mix of archival footage and and actual and like stuff they shot it seems like because there's there's full credits for like people shooting things so i assume that much of it was actually shot for for the movie um actually as far as i know i saw this movie in rotterdam so i'm kind of okay going off my memory and it's hard of sort of a weird movie to talk about because yeah it's kind of doing something tricky that you might not it's hard you don't want to reveal it maybe before the end but like yeah as far as i am aware this is actually all home video footage that her, oh, okay. her grandparents shot the director's uh, grandparents. And she's taking yeah. this footage. She's taking this footage and then placing a narrative that's unrelated right. to it over top of it. Mm-hmm. So t- telling two unre- combining two unrelated things essentially mm-hmm. and telling a story. So she's I kind see. of like fabricating a narrative over a real life, over real footage. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's very, it's very fascinating. It's all, like you said, all told via like via subtitles, um, uh, which framed as like a diary diary entries from the wife who is kind of uh falls into like a love affair with with the man while she's traveling with her husband throughout europe they're they're like a socialite couple Mm -hmm. um so it gets into like this sort of like melodramatic love story sort of so Mm -hmm. but yeah very very beautiful and um and then once you get to the end it kind of like reveals kind of what it's doing uh which is yeah very very unique and i think beautiful and uh, one of those things you can kind of like speaks to the power of uh like fictional narrative even when you're u- utilizing real right real subjects and real subject matter yeah and you're kind of reappropriating them yeah mm-hmm. um yeah yeah I, I yeah i thought yeah it's just really yeah a really cool a really cool experience and yeah um uh, definitely recommend seeking it out if it's available to you mm-hmm. um is there maybe something else that uh, you want to shout out, Jordan? Uh, sure. Um, it's hard. To, I've written about a lot of these films, so I don't want to like repeat myself. If, right. <laughs> if anyone is uh, is has read stuff I've written, but uh, other favorites in the of the features, I would say are um, the Inheritance by mm-hmm. Ephraim Azili, who is a an experimental filmmaker. This mm-hmm. is his first feature. Um, which is kind of a, a, a movie, ba- a fictional narrative based on his time in a black radical arts collective in mm-hmm. Philadelphia, which he's kind of uh, using that as inspiration to tell a fictional story about a young black man uh, and his girlfriend op- starting a, uh, a collective uh, at his grandparent or his grandmother's house who, who passed away and he inherited the house. So it mm-hmm. it's, utilizes a lot of figures from Philadelphia art scene to kind of like play fictional versions of the, themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's mixing mm-hmm. documentary and fiction in an interesting way, uh, utilizing like the aesthetics of Godard films, and uh, which is referenced in the movie directly, mm-hmm. and uh, a really beautiful and unique movie. Um, 
So that's one other favorite of mine. Um, and it's maybe uh, one interesting thing about that, which I also quite liked, is that uh, there's a long section of the film about the uh, MOVE organization uh, that features uh, uh, Michael Africa and Michael Africa Jr. playing themselves. And I know there's a documentary that's going around i think it maybe premiered at tiff and is kind of popping up other places that is about the move organization and oh. i think uh the efforts to get uh michael africa senior and i'm forgetting the name of his wife uh out of prison great i didn't uh i didn't know that there was a documentary about that that's interesting but yeah the the inheritance uses uses like some uh archival footage of yeah. move and around the time of the bombing and some news footage from that era. And also uh, can't remember her name off the top of my head now, but one of the first black women to run for uh, office. Right. So there's uh, footage of that. Uh, but so, yeah, he's kind of bridging these time periods and these various like uh, uh, moments in African-American and black American life that uh, have been significant and kind of, uh, mm -hmm. resur resurrecting them in the present day all in this apartment right yeah that's mm -hmm. the other like is there's a lot of the like about the day-to-day -day life of living in the collective as well yeah it's, it's a very like, funny movie yeah yeah mm -hmm. right oh, they have to have all these meetings and make decisions and stuff and there's there's personality clashes and and that stuff's yeah. all all yeah i think paired with the with the with the you know the 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 grander deeper stuff is uh it's a nice pairing in that movie yeah and a lot of music in it which is nice there's some like full band uh kind of mm -hmm. uh performances that you can watch all the way through and po poetry readings toward the end so it's yeah, yeah it, it's doing a lot but i think it does it really well um let's see the other ones i like uh the last city uh and the lobby which are two films by heinz mm -hmm. and goltz which like we mentioned before the last city was in Berlin, but the lobby was a world premiere here in New York. Okay. Um, and they're kind of campaigning pieces. I don't know if you guys, have, if you watch those. Those that are one. two that I wanted to see and just missed the time window on. Yeah. yeah. Um, same. Okay. Yeah. Well, I won't, I wouldn't need to get super in depth, but they're like companion pieces of a sort. Um, Emma Goltz is like a veteran mm -hmm. uh, of German cinema and experimental cinema. He started out making. Uh, narrative features in like the late 80s early 90s and then mm. got burnt out after like a mm. three features and couldn't get any money to really make another film uh and started making architecture documentaries essentially like observational uh architecture films that he made a lot 20 years of like 50 plus movies every year he would wow. release one or two uh shorts and features some of them are really amazing important films shot all over the world there's some shot in la um but uh, so he's been doing these films and has kind of got this reputation because he, they're all, they're, you know, wordless. They're just observational documentaries of various buildings and things like that. And they're shot from like these canted angles where it's very exaggerated and his, his editing is like super rhythmic. And uh, he's essentially applying that style to now narrative films again, mm -hmm. uh, which he started in, uh, there was a movie he made a couple years ago called Streetscapes Dialogue. Right. which was him and another filmmaker, Jonathan Peril, uh, talking back and forth and interspersed with like the architecture of the area they were in. Uh, and it's very like self-referential. And so he's jumped off from that, essentially taking the same two characters and uh, putting them in these other situations. The last city is like set in five different locations and uh, kind of deals with all these taboo subjects from like incest to just like war crimes and things like that. Mm -hmm. So the, the dialogues are very like provocative and inflammatory, but very, very, mm -hmm. very funny. And like the dialogue is very like uh, stilted and the, the way they speak is sort of like a, like a strobe film or something like that. But he, he's also shooting in the same way he made his architecture films. So they're very like, uh, they're very funny and kind of like compartmentalized little objects. Uh, and the lobby is just kind of like, an extension of the last city with just the main character mm -hmm. uh john erdman in, in the movie he's called like old white man or something like that he's mm -hmm. just sitting sitting in a variety of lobbies around europe i guess uh just kind of like talking to the camera to the audience like acknowledging the audience but mm -hmm. also just like super vulgar and very funny and he's just kind of like mm -hmm. ta ta you know uh i don't know dressing down or talking uh indicting 
every culture and every like political idea that's kind of festering right now. So it's very, it's humorous and also pointed and very, uh, yeah, and also extremely well shot, but also just kind of a, I don't, I don't know if the movie would work without having seen the others. So the lobby is definitely right. like a co- companion piece to mm-hmm. the last city, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, but very interesting that he, he continues to kind of pursue this uh, strange new narrative direction, which I, according mm-hmm. to him, he's, he's going to keep going for a while with that. Okay. So. Yeah, I'll certainly be looking out for those and maybe a, a less busy time. I, I feel like a lot of his recent movies have kind of ended up popping up somewhere to see online eventually. Yeah, he's been strange. Yeah, as in the last few years, they've been coming around a little bit uh, more mm-hmm. often. But yeah, and he, he's kind of come back to prominence, which is nice. I feel like not mm-hmm. not that he wasn't, but like when you're making architecture films, I, you're you're preaching to a small, right. <laughs> a pretty small yeah. festival or like art <laughs> audience. Well, I saw a bunch of them, but you never see him outside of festivals or mm-hmm. like a, a museum or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. Another yeah. another favorite. Looking at the list, uh, the year to, the year of the discovery, which is a. Uh, Spanish film, uh-huh, which is another one that I just wasn't able to make time for. Uh, the, that the one longest, is three hours, right? It's the the longest that actually ended up playing. Right, <laughs> um, it's one I can see actually getting distribution at some point, even okay. though it's not not an easy film at all. It's very mm-hmm. difficult, but it, it's very unique. Uh, kind of a a stage documentary that the filmmaker um, Luis Lopez Carrasco, who's made. A number of films have been in New York and other other places in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is like about uh, it's set in a bar in 1992, but he shot it on uh, high eight videotape, so it's very uh, washed out and uh, looks like old degraded videotape. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it's taking like the the events of 1992 in Spain, which was like the Olympic Games and uh, the Expo 92 World's Fair. And uh, kind of framing it around that, but u- utilizing real people from the era to sit in a bar and talk about what was really going on behind uh, these like major events, which was uh, protests about labor and uh, kind of class differences. And it ended up th- with the burning of uh, the parliament building in Spain for during mm-hmm. that same period as the Olympics. Uh, mm-hmm. But essentially those events kind of like overshadowed these kind of protests and things. So uh, right. He's basically trying to bring this forgotten part of Spanish history to light and mm-hmm. doing it via the real people uh, mm-hmm. who experienced it. So you get real stories, but then you get younger people talking mm-hmm. and they're speaking in a similar way. And you, you can tell like they weren't alive for this probably or, or very young. So then mm-hmm. you start to realize that they're talking about the recession that happened in like 2008 in Spain. And so he's drawing parallels between these two time periods by putting all these uh, different age groups all in one bar uh, and shooting it like it's a piece of found footage, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's very interesting how he's drawing parallels. And it's all presented, not all, but majority of it's in split screen. So you're watching conversations from different angles mm-hmm. and you're seeing things happen. Uh, yeah, just different areas of the bar going on at once. And, uh, yeah, it's very fascinating and very... Uh, yeah. That sounds very. It, cool. it, it was like the definition of an experiment, but it went uh, it, sure. it went well, and uh, okay. yeah, it, it was in Rotterdam and mm-hmm. still one of my favorite films of the year. So I'm glad it, it showed up here, but yeah. it's it's something that like I think would have probably like been in a normal year in Art of the Real or something. Okay, yeah. uh, it can it can fit in both, but it's very like a it's doing interesting things with nonfiction. Mm-hmm. All right, I can maybe talk about a few others of my favorites. It actually happens that just looking at this uh, alphabetical list, the the first three are probably my other three favorites. Uh, So just going in order, uh, Fauna, the Nicholas Pareda movie, which was the first of his that I'd seen, though I'm certainly curious to see more of his, uh, is a kind of... that's a another film in two parts uh and the first is uh this kind of family story of uh this guy going to meet 
his girlfriend's family uh and he is an actor who uh appeared on the uh the netflix show narcos in uh i think a non-speaking role and there's uh I think in both half of the films, a lot of what the director is going for is kind of commentary on uh, that sort of the portrayal of that culture. Uh, I know there's, I think, I think the film is also uh, set in a town where like a very famous movie about that culture uh, was shot. Uh, and there's like a very funny, uh, and then the other thing is that the the actor playing this guy was actually on that television show, uh, and so then there's a scene where uh, his girlfriend's father is uh, asking him to uh, act out scenes from or a scene from the show, uh, which is the act, and then he does the actual scene he was in which is very funny he first does his part of the scene which is just him sitting there reacting to things and then i think he does one of the other characters scenes uh which is or part of the scene which is much more dramatic uh and then yeah there's this second part of the movie where uh his girlfriend's brother uh is reading this book uh which i think is called fauna about uh which is a much more kind of heightened uh sort of story uh sort of mystery story and we go into this book for pretty much the rest of the film and that is a kind of uh you know it it, it it yeah it is just a much more kind of heightened story the, the actors recur into this the uh the brother who's reading the book becomes the lead of this story. And then the, uh, the, the, the girlfriend, uh, becomes, uh, two sisters, uh, twin sisters named Flora and Fauna. Uh, and yeah, it, I just really, I, I really responded to this kind of method of storytelling. There's other, movies that have been a little similar to this recently i know pareda has done this kind of i i gathered from the uh q a afterwards what he's tended to do is to sort of uh he at least in one film is rather than like moving further into fiction to sort of move further into reality as the story as the film goes on uh but there's uh, it made me think of the movie uh, Black Bear, which played at Sundance, and I saw at the Maryland Film Festival, which does a kind of similar thing also of uh, the novel from last year, Truth Exercise, which I really liked. Both of those I really like, which have a similar sort of structure of like moving through, uh, but uh, I guess both of those sort of have like two longer parts and then sort of a coda at the end and through those parts kind of move through different layers of reality using the same characters or actors playing different characters. Uh, and yeah, I just find that method of storytelling that I would imagine has uh, more uh, precedent than I'm not thinking of, but his, uh, popped up for me a lot lately i find it really fascinating yeah nico's been making movies for 10 plus years right. um this this is actually i think maybe my favorite movie he's made mm -hmm. um but uh, they're all they're all worthwhile but he, he, most of his movies do are predicated on a similar split they're they're almost all told, told in two parts which mm -hmm. early on like you said they they at the time they dealt almost primarily with uh, kind of blurring the lines between fiction and nonfiction. Uh, so they had a lot in common with like a picture pong, like a tropical malady, for example, one of, one of a picture pong's early films, which is told in two parts, blissfully yours, I think is like that too. Um, so he was working in like this vein, uh, a unique spin on the thing, but it was very, he's very rooted. His, his influences were pretty, pretty obvious. Um, there was a movie he made called greatest hits, which, almost has a similar, it does have an exact split and the characters are kind of regenerated and put in 
in a similar story, but the same with the same characters. This movie is a little bit different where they're kind of playing new characters. Right. Um, and this movie is much more focused on performance and how they're and how the actors are embodying these characters from one part to the next, uh, which is kind of put in uh, or kind of framed around these various uh, archetypes. Like you were mentioning the Narcos Mexico character that the actor actually really plays in real life and he's mm-hmm. acting out a scene from the show. Um, so yeah, the, I would say like the first half of the film is very much kind of like a normal Nico Pareto movie, which is, which are <laughs> nice. They're like a small kind of domestic dramedy uh, and uh, kind of low key, not super like, uh, uh, I don't know, exciting in any kind of like dramatic way. And then it, when it mm-hmm. switches gears, it turns into like this weird thriller, but there's all the thriller elements are taken out of it right. other than like, the kind of bare remnants of like what a genre movie would be, which is very interesting, which is the whole point is for him to comment on how uh, violence and narco culture has been depicted in the media, mm-hmm. which of course always sensationalizes everything like uh, Sicario, I guess would be the biggest example of a film that like is probably what he's critiquing in, mm-hmm. as far as like an a fe- international feature film. Uh, so he's doing like the opposite of that and taking out all that kind of lurid, elements and Mm -hmm. just focusing on like the characters and their roles and how we perceive them so yeah it's a very fascinating movie uh also one of my favorites um Mm -hmm. and it played it played a couple festivals here in the fall um yeah it was was one of the two uh wavelengths features at uh, toronto along with the inheritance exactly yeah um but yeah he's definitely interesting because he's like I think this is his first feature in like five years. He usually doesn't take that long. Mm. He's been making a couple shorts, which kind of hinted at this direction, yeah. which are kind of like a little more fantastical uh, and kind of played with reality in a different way than he did. So this is kind of like encouraging sign that he's like really expanding. Like he, mm-hmm. he cited Matias Pinheiro as a, Right, yeah. I mean, they see that in the second half. Yeah, they they paired the two of them up for one of the free talks, and uh, one interesting, another interesting thing that they uh, they share in common is that they uh, both work with a lot of theater actors who have worked together. You know, uh, the uh, it sounds like a lot of the actors that Pareto works with come from this company, uh, La Gartijas, Tiradas, Al Sol. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like uh, Pinheiro has worked with uh, Piel de Lava, the actresses from uh, La Flor, as well as several other theater actresses I know. Right. Yeah, both their filmographies are interesting because when you, they're more interesting as you watch more of the films because you're revisiting mm-hmm. these characters I think Parade has even said, like, yeah, he's he's making portraits of these actors, basically. So, right. so if you've watched, you know, he's made nine movies. So the more you watch, the more you kind of see these people uh, mm-hmm. grow up. Sort of like what Mariano Chinas did with Lafleur, right. where except in one movie where you're watching them mm-hmm. kind of age yes. and embody different characters. But this is kind mm-hmm. of in that Fauna's in that same vein as those two filmmakers, I think, yes. on, a, on a smaller scale, but uh, but interesting nonetheless. Right, and I'd say to the extent that that is kind of a, a movement that is maybe one of my uh, uh, favorite movements currently going on, the the Genius, Genius films especially, uh, he's maybe my favorite director working. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. all, all three of these guys are doing interesting work. Yeah, but, totally. Um, one other one I actually wanted to mention, I did totally overlooked it here, was mm-hmm. uh, Her Socialist Smile. Yes, that's uh, another one I really like as well. Yeah, that's actually one of my. It's my favorite new feature that I saw mm-hmm. in, in my in my NIF viewing, um, directed by John G. and Vito, um, mm-hmm. American filmmaker, um, who also has been making like. Uh, well, he he made a kind of a narrative feature early in his career, mm-hmm. and then he he made a couple of observational type documentaries one called uh, profit motive and the whispering wind which was really great um and then has been making like these really epic documentaries these last couple of years uh which are almost impenetrable sometimes for me (laughs) um like four hour plus uh not not necessarily because of the length but just because of their the density of their subject matter and stuff like Mm -hmm. that um but this is kind of a return to a it's it's still a documentary but like a little more of a concise uh kind of look at uh, a certain subject, which in this case is Helen Keller, who 
had a less publicized like second life as like a political activist, socialist mm-hmm. uh, activist, um, and gave a number of speeches and things like this in the early 20th century when she was in her 30s, um, which none of which survive in like audio form, but they've been mm-hmm. documented. So he's taking these speeches she gave and using the text and presenting them as text on screen and then pairing them with uh, kind of documentary footage mm-hmm. uh, of both the woman who's uh, who's reading, so doing some voiceover and then uh, also right. just like some landscape footage. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's really fascinating the way he plays on like the differences between sound and the text and what you're hearing, obviously trying to play off uh, Keller's own condition and things like that. So you're kind mm-hmm. of like, he's, he's separating sound and image and text and like kind of compartmentalizing them but uh, around different uh, different fragments of the film. Uh, but yeah, I found it really fascinating and uh, yeah, moving and, and also just kind of like yeah. uh, uh, fascinating from like a historical perspective because I didn't know yeah, definitely. much of this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree that like I I found this sort of reframing of Keller to be both very moving and fascinating. I, you know, part of it was just uh, it was almost shocking to just see a uh, such a sort of famous figure uh, having uh, politics that I'm like, oh, yeah, those are those are pretty much my politics <laughs> and uh, not having known that at all. Yeah, uh, no, me either. Her. Yeah, she's like fighting for like women's rights to vote and labor rights mm-hmm. and things like that. But yeah, it's very, it's very like up to the moment film, strangely mm-hmm. enough. Uh, yes. Via this vehicle that you wouldn't, a lot of the way Keller is obviously remembered and portrayed is not as any yes. kind of like, a, I don't definitely not an activist figure, but now not even like a forthright uh, kind of woman who took her control mm-hmm. of her own life. She's presented as kind of this meek victim or something. Mm-hmm. Right. And like in terms of it being very kind of up to the moment, there is this this stuff about her fighting for uh, women's suffrage. But I think there's also moments when you can see her being uh, questioning whether voting is enough and kind of coming to the conclusion that like in this system that we have in this country, it really isn't. I right. think there it, it seems like there were moments at which she was sort of hopeful that it would be and sort of comes to realize that maybe it's not. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then another one that uh, I liked uh, is uh, Her Name Was Europa, uh, which is a film by uh, two directors, uh, Anya Dornidin and Juan David Gonzalez Monroy. Uh, this is a movie about uh, this kind of uh, evolutionary ancestor of cows called an aurochs, uh, and it sort of deals with just different uh, different attempts to resurrect them, both like. Uh, in the first half of the film kind of literally like through uh, selective breeding there was an attempt that was made uh, by a a biologist who had a lot of ties with the Nazi party and many of the results of that uh, the the cows that were bred through that were uh, shot towards the end of World War II but there's this sort of heard of them that seems to have survived uh and then there's also another more recent attempt to kind of revive them but then there's also kind of uh there's sort of a point at the movie where they uh sort of shift into more of an artistic recreation of them uh they're kind of the the sort almost the sort of fulcrum point is where uh they're talking to a woman who they're having uh, draw an aurochs for them. And she basically says, like, but we don't know exactly what we look like. Like, we know their bone structure and we know we have a vague idea of their coloring. But, like, it's not possible to, to bring them back. We just we don't know exactly what they were like. Uh, and so it kind of puts the first half of the film into 
uh, into question a lot. And then there's uh, this model of an aurochs that is created. Uh, and then there's another very funny sequence in which they, uh, well, first they kind of take it uh, into this like wilderness area and just take a bunch of photographs with it. But then there's this uh, final section of the film which has uh, maybe one of the funniest lines of the year where they're at this kind of resort uh, that's like the largest indoor resort in Germany. And they have this big kind of uh, finale planned and there's a title card that just says something along the lines of, uh, and then we lost interest in our fictional ending. <laughs> but <laughs> yes. yeah, I, I like that as kind of a, uh, sort of artful science documentary that then becomes something entirely different. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned the humor because I was talking to a friend recently who was saying that he liked the film and he doesn't think people get that it's like, doesn't get that it's supposed to have humor in it and it's right. not like a straight, uh, serious kind of a mm -hmm. quasi-documentary. Um, yeah, I haven't seen the movie since Berlin. It's a very beautiful shot on 16 millimeter black and white. Mm -hmm, uh, right. But the filmmakers who here are working under their own names, they usually work in like a collective called uh, mm. o Oho Boca, I believe is how you say it. Okay. Um, so they made a number of shorts over the years that I've seen. Uh, but this, this yeah, is it's very really interesting movie, but also it kind of reminded me of a movie a couple of years ago called uh, Lost and Beautiful by Pietro Marcello, right. which also follows a cow <laughs> around mm. uh, and, and kind of frames this kind of... Uh, takes a real historical event and frames it, it in it from the perspective of this cow going through the kind of his lot in life. Um, but yeah, this is a really fascinating, interesting movie that I think is kind of, I need to look at again, but also uh, one that is probably going to get overlooked within the overall scope of the program. But right. it's nice that you, you seem to sum it up pretty well there. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And then I guess we've covered a lot of the program uh i guess i think the only other one that oh i guess there's a couple others that i've seen uh there's uh the uh i guess second of the uh but not last it sounds like of the uh posthumous uh raul ruiz films uh that are co-directed by his widow, uh, Valeria Sarmiento, and uh, this is called The Tango, The Widower, and its Distorting Mirror, and my kind of uh, glib review of that was, uh, you know, it's basically just Tenet, uh, the, <laughs> the very artful uh, Tenet. Uh. That's true. I haven't seen Tenet, but I get the, mm -hmm. get the idea. Yes. But yeah, uh -huh. this is a movie that, like, from what I understand is like there it was like unfinished uh, mm -hmm. and then Sarmiento's kind of gone back and finished it but uh, finishing it in this case is kind of like replaying the movie backwards at, right. at one point <laughs> <Yes>. and uh, <laughs> so I don't know if it necessarily uh, it's an interesting like historical uh, object but I don't know if it necessarily holds up as like a right. piece yeah. of uh, dramatic storytelling it's obviously yeah. you get it to like the surreal surrealist mm -hmm. movement of the era uh and, and very and interesting and well interestingly shot and it's mm -hmm. very early in ruiz's career mm -hmm. um it's interesting to look at like what he was kind of working on in the late 60s because most of his well-known films are in the 80s and 90s and and deal with surreality mm -hmm. in like a very a different way this is kind of a a dark kind of psychodrama whereas he moved into very like almost childlike fantastical right stuff. yeah 80s um yeah definitely like a curio but but very interesting Any, yes. anything anything yeah. he, that is going to get dug up that he made which apparently is a couple more films are coming so mm -hmm. we'll have plenty of opportunities but compared to like the uh the other film that was found and, and finished uh the wandering called? soap opera. the wandering soap opera yeah which i liked it was quite a bit better i thought uh okay. yeah they're very different like tonally and made in the early 90s but uh Right. Yeah, as they keep digging up his films, we'll keep watching him. He's one of the, yep. one of the mm -hmm. filmmakers. <laughs> yeah, I think I want to say the Wandering Sopra, Soap Opera might have been the 
first Ruiz film that I saw, <laughs> which was a, a very, may, maybe with the exception of Mysteries of Lisbon. Uh, but yeah, either way, it was a, a weird sort of <laughs> entry point. Uh, but yeah. And then uh, speaking of Ruiz, actually, the other film that I've seen that reminded me uh, particularly of another one of his films that I've seen, uh, uh, The Golden Boat, just in terms of its kind of lack of uh, narrative coherence is uh, intentionally, I think, is uh, Slow Machine, which you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, which is just sort of a, a weird sort of uh it's it's very hard to describe just uh uh this narrative uh starring stephanie hayes uh in maybe different roles or maybe as one woman who's playing different roles uh it's never clear there's there's suggestions that this is all happening in one reality and different uh, time periods through uh, the use of just like say literally just like a little title card saying several weeks earlier but then also there's a suggestion at one point that parts of the movie are her playing a character she you know most of the movie she is playing a Swedish actress which I think she is a Swedish American actress and then uh, there's sections where uh uh, she's playing this southern woman and then the yeah. southern accent from that section kind of just disappears yeah. uh, eventually and then there's also this very strange relationship with a sort of uh, uh, sort of weird uh, very uh, I guess a police officer but in some weird non-existent wing of the NYPD <laughs> uh played by Scott Shepard, uh, who I, I think he's very funny in the film. Uh, and then there's like this cameo uh, from Chloe Sevigny uh, describing this weird audition that she did that maybe wasn't really an audition. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's uh, weirdly for not really being necessarily one of the more experimental films. I would say it is sort of one of the more inscrutable films <laughs> in the selection, just in terms of what it is that it's doing. Uh, yeah. But it, it still is like fairly enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's definitely, it's a narrative film, but it's mm -hmm. very uh, like the, the narrative is super coded and hard to, mm -hmm. hard to follow in some, in some respects. Uh, but nevertheless than like really interesting and in trying to figure out what this character is, who she is, what she's doing. Um, also when you were describing it, it kind of has some weird parallels with the inheritance, not like subject matter wise, but like she goes to like this kind of uh, music uh, or not, right. I don't know, yeah. collective, but like a house where all these people are living and they're making music like Eleanor Friedberger from the mm -hmm. uh, fire furnaces, like lives there and they're making an album. <laughs> and yes, uh, so it's got all these weird, like, uh, uh, I don't know, divergences that mm -hmm. are happening along the way. And it, it's sort of just like a mystery thriller that yeah. turns into like a, I don't know, uh, a mystery about what this woman is like kind of going through and uh, mm -hmm. trying to figure out her. There's a moment that something kind of violent happens and you're not sure what, what transpires, yes. if it's in her head, if if where yeah mm -hmm. where where this is all leading and then it ends in also a very mysterious way uh yeah yeah it, it's a movie that is worth looking at i think mm -hmm. one or one or two times at the very least uh mm -hmm. and yeah interesting movie for currents like i was saying i think it would probably end up playing somewhere else but it's like one of those things where it's not going to be in competition so where if, if it's good then where are you going to put it um mm -hmm. sort, sort of like fauna i guess i don't know why i mean parade could probably be in competition by now but like mm -hmm. not competition but the main slate right uh so yeah it's interesting to see what or to think about what the section is going to look like without if, if some of these films play other programs in the coming you know going forward these kind of mm -hmm. movies yeah 
Yeah, I'll agree that it's something that feels like it could maybe use a second look. Uh, one line towards the end that really struck uh, stuck out to me uh, when she's returning to the location where this kind of violent incursion happens uh, and it's being resold. Uh, the, the realtor towards the end of their conversation says to her, I think... Uh, this conversation could be giving you so much solace if you were, uh, I, and I guess the implication is just like, if you were listening to me and understanding me in the correct way. And it's like, huh, I wish I were understanding the film on that <laughs> yeah. level that it seems like it's maybe asking both the audience and the lead character to understand it on. Yeah. I think so, from what I understand, some of these actors are, they're like theater actors and it's kind of, right. it blends kind of like, this theatrical uh, sensibility with cinema. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of like a using a lot of different kind of influences and like narrative mm -hmm. devices. So it, it definitely like it's very slippery, but it, it I think it will help my attention and it's very like mm -hmm. unique and it looks really nice. And yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's one that I think, I mean, I can already tell it's kind of picking up a small little like cult of followers. Right. Yeah. And yeah, that's the one that the other one that uh, Grasshopper has. So they'll probably next year be putting it out in some way. You know, they have not been unwilling to put stuff out digitally, but seem like they're also committed to putting stuff out theatrically sometime next year, too. Sure. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, yeah, I was going to say, it's also interesting, like, I think these, they're American filmmakers, but this movie doesn't really resemble, like, the American independent right. scene, like, uh, the big, or not the big, but, like, the American independent scene right now, it's, like, defined by some, you know, like, a Dan Salit or, like, a mm -hmm. Ricky, D, Ricky D. Ambrose, who had a short in his currents as well. Mm -hmm. So these, a very, like, distinct sensibility and showing mm -hmm. New York, whereas these filmmakers are, like, taking a completely different approach. So it's very interesting. Yeah. I was like, Oh, is this, if this is what American independent cinema is going to be, mm -hmm. it can be interesting going forward. Cause I think we're reaching the end of like this other kind of style mm -hmm. that's been in vogue, like the last five or six years. So we'll, we'll mm -hmm. see if, if this signals some kind of like shift in uh, American independent filmmaking, but if not, it's a very unique, unique standalone film yeah definitely like i i mentioned that it made me think of ruiz a little bit i know i've i've seen people throwing around jock rivet comparisons yeah, as yeah, well totally. that would be certainly an interesting direction for the american independent cinema to move and it does feel like those are maybe filmmakers that have been uh since they've passed away kind of picking up steam uh, in terms of their appreciation in the United States. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, uh, unless anything, anyone has anything else that they want to mention, uh, I guess maybe we can wrap up. Yeah, I think we covered yeah. all but mm -hmm. a couple of the movies, but I think we yeah. cover, covered the major ones at the very least. I mm -hmm. think. Yeah, great. Yeah. All right, then, uh, Jordan, do you have anything that you'd like to plug? <laughs> um, I guess you can, I'm doing a video interview series, mm -hmm. which you mentioned earlier. I did one with Dennis Lynn. That was the first one. It's kind mm -hmm. of a, just a video of Zoom interviews with uh, critics and programmers and uh, some distributors, hopefully, in, in the coming episodes, mm -hmm. um, that people talk about how their work has been affected by COVID and what they're doing. And so like the Dennis one was about how they, they had to kind of reimagine what the New York film festival is mm -hmm. going to be like. And I've done one with the director of Locarno film festival and uh, right. San Francisco Cinematheque and people like that. Uh, by the time people hear this, I'll have one with Adam Naiman. There's a book on Paul Thomas oh, Anderson. Okay. So yeah. People in that vein, if you're interested. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. So that, that would be the main thing. That's it patreon.com slash jordan cronk um, okay. otherwise yeah just writing normal sure. mm -hmm. <laughs> awesome all right thank you so uh, much for joining us that, yeah. was, that was really awesome of you no i appreciate it yeah thanks for having me all right uh then you can find us uh on twitter at can i kick it just spelled the way that it's spelled in your podcast app uh 
You can find us on Letterboxd, uh, posting somewhat occasionally at uh, CIKI Pod. Uh, you can find me on either of those platforms at JP Glick Weber. Weber has two Bs. And then uh, Andy. Yes, uh, I'm Andy. You can find me online at Andy T. Germ on all your favorite social media platforms. Uh, I will give a shout out to anyone who gives us a rating on their podcatcher of choice. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, and then I will say thank you to Tree Related for our theme song. You can find yes. him on SoundCloud as we link in every episode. It'll be in the show notes for this one. Uh, and I think that's it. Yep. So I will go ahead and release our audience. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Thanks.